señorita Really nice to meet ya Have some tequila and stay This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Dr. Michael Krupain, board certified in preventative medicine, medical chief of staff on the Dr. Oz Show, and one of the authors of What to Eat When, a cookbook, a lifestyle guide. It's all about when we should be eating versus when we should be fasting, the science behind it, why we should be having dinner for breakfast. And I want to talk to him about eating hours because I have a hard time when I'm hungry, not listening to my hunger cues and eating. Here's my episode with Dr. Michael Krupain. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Loving this book. Um, not loving intermittent fasting. <laughs> I feel like most of this is going to be about that. I realize like the benefits like fat loss and better sleep and probably increased energy. But I feel like my life changed. I finally lost the weight um, when I started practicing intuitive eating, listening to my hunger cues, eat when I'm hungry, stop eating when I'm satisfied. And intermittent fasting seems to go against that. And I want to talk about that. <laughs> why should okay. we not listen to our bodies? And why should we eat when the sun is up and fast when the sun is down? Yeah, so eating the what to eat when way, the way we recommend in the book, is based on the, a lot of science that we've found. It's mostly in animals, but there's more and more coming out in humans. And I think when people talk about intermittent fasting, they're usually sort of um, not honoring the, the real science that's out there and, and not doing it the right way. Okay. Right? So, so what we recommend is that you do three things. One is you eat more early and less later. So eat uh, breakfast and lunch as your biggest meals of the day and yep. dinner as the smallest. Most yep. people, when they do intermittent fasting, they do the opposite. Yep. They make dinner their largest meal of the day and they eat this massive, gigantic meal and then they go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, that's when your insulin levels are lowest? That's, that's when your body is most resistant to insulin. And so, so now instead of like burning those calories for energy, it's going to store it and it's going to turn to fat because you're about to lay down and sleep for eight hours. That, that's right. That's what happens. So that's, that's why you eat more early and less later, because your metabolism changes throughout the day based on your circadian rhythm. Yes. And your body is better primed to eat early and wants to eat less later. And actually, based on that, what we were just, you just said about insulin, your body is most sensitive to insulin early in the day and becomes more resistant as the day goes on. So people who are normal, who don't have diabetes or prediabetes, actually a large percentage of people, if you measure their, their blood sugar at night, they would look like they had prediabetes wow. because of that, how that insulin resistance changes throughout the day. And so our bodies are actually are also, because of this, are set to burn carbohydrates early in the day and burn fat at night. So yes. when you eat um, all that food and all, especially sugar at night, you are sort of hijacking what your body wants to do, right? And it wants to burn fat and now you're giving it more sugar. So it's going to do that instead of a burn sugar. And exactly. so, and so, like you said, that can lead to sort of storing a fat instead of burning a fat and waking. And I know that's just your first point, but while we're on this, I loved the part about like, stop stereotyping foods. Like this is a breakfast food. This is a dinner food, whatever you enjoy the most, like your most like gluttonous meal of the day, like lasagna, you're like pasta, have it for breakfast. <laughs> like stop thinking about like breakfast foods having to be you know, something that you don't really enjoy and leaving that, I think you say as a royal feast at the end of the day and looking forward to dinner, you're going to process it better at breakfast. So you should be having that heavy meal, even if it's not a breakfast food in the morning. That's right. 
And, you know, there's a couple of things that you've, you've hit on that are really important. And one that goes back to your first, the first point is that another thing people do when they're intermittent fasting that they do wrong is they only focus on the when and not the what. Mm. And that's why we call the book What to Eat When, because it's about balancing the what and the when. And part of that is the don't stereotype food principle. And that's very cultural in our, in our country, right? That we think that breakfast should be cereal or a pastry. Mm-hmm. But if you go to say Japan, you might eat fish for breakfast, right? Really? <laughs> and, or if you went to Israel, you would have a lot of uh, meze for breakfast. Yeah. And so um, we don't have to eat those unhealthy things for breakfast. We could eat dinner foods for breakfast. And that's why we, we say don't stereotype food. And it's one of the main reasons we wrote the What to Eat When cookbook is because we want to give people a lot of delicious recipes that they could eat at any time of day. In the premise of what to eat when you want to eat 80% of your food before 3 p.m., the other 20% before 7 p.m., which everything you're describing, it makes sense to me. <laughs> like, obviously, like your body's going to process it, metabolize it better. But I am hungry after 7 p.m. And I'm sure it's just the same thing with any starting a new habit that you'll get used to it. But it's hard for me to ignore hunger cues. Um, in full disclosure, I dealt with like eating disorders and just all kinds of stuff for years and finally found this balanced lifestyle where I do enjoy margaritas and I work out, but not obsessively. And I respect and listen to my body. If I am hungry, it would be very hard for me to stick to certain hours because I feel like I'm not listening to what my body needs. Sure. Well, I, th- I think that there's no one perfect way to eat. So everybody should do what sort of works best for them. Okay. And so we're not, we're not trying to. It makes that, sense. I love it. We're I'm not just that prescriptive, hungry. right? And we, <laughs> we, want, we want everybody to find their way of okay. eating as close to the when way as possible. Yeah. And what I have found is personally, like I never ate breakfast or lunch in my past. Wow. I, I hated breakfast. When I was a kid, my mom forced me to eat breakfast every day <laughs> and, I, and I didn't want to eat it. Yeah. And then I actually, when I was a resident, my first rotation was on night floats. I worked a night shift and I found just eating right before eating a huge dinner right before the night shift was what sustained me. And so I did that and ended up doing that for about 20 years wow. uh, until I started really digging to the science. And I started, I started gaining a little bit of weight and digging into the science and realizing what I was doing was not ideal. And when right. I switched, I found uh, everything sort of went back to the, the way I, I wanted to. But the amazing thing for me was that by changing sort of how much I ate at different times of the day, my appetite changed. So okay. I became hungry for breakfast. I am hungry, hungry for breakfast these days and hungry for lunch and not so hungry for dinner anymore. And I can still eat dinner. We're not saying skip it. We're just saying try to make it a smaller meal of the day and try not to eat it after dark. Yeah. I think the when way sun up and sundown is not as restrictive as intermittent fasting. Like the people that I know that have eating hours, um, it's like they don't, they eat between noon and seven. So they wake up and don't give their kind of what you used to do. (laughs) They don't give their body anything. Isn't that like for a lot of people that listen to this podcast, like moms looking to lose weight, that's horrible for your metabolism. Like they're thinking don't eat until noon, but then your body doesn't start burning. Like, so I love sun up, eat, like it, it completely makes sense. It's just something that I need to um, train my body uh, to do. And it's not just about a fat loss. There's so many other benefits um, to eating that way. Can you talk about those? Yeah. So I think uh, the, the science suggests, right, that it all started actually in longe- longevity, that when animals are fasting, they live longer. And 
so again, in the lab, you see that my favorite is a fruit fly, which just seems stupid that we're talking about fruit flies and, and humans, but we use fruit flies as a model for the human heart, <laughs> interestingly. Yes. And if, you, and if you put fruit flies in, a, in their little jar, right, that they live in in the lab, usually you put some sugar water or something on the bottom, they have 24-hour access to food. Mm-hmm. When you restrict that to just half of the day instead of the whole day, they live longer, they fly better, and they just seem like younger fruit flies. And you see similar things in, in rats and mice that they uh, perform better and that they don't gain as much weight when you limit the window that they can eat. And then yeah. the, the theory behind this is really interesting to me, and it's actually pretty cool, I think, is that there's this idea that there's a metabolic switch that gets thrown when you switch from burning sugar to burning fat. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's into keto diet, but that's uh-huh. really hard to do. Uh, and when you eat the Wen way, you can get the benefits that come with keto without having to be, you know, give up my favorite food, which would be pasta. Yeah. Um, and the idea is if you, again, are eating more early and less later and even eating your carbohydrates more early and less later, right, you're going to burn through them during the day. And sometime while you're fasting in the middle of the night, while you're sleeping, you'll go in, you'll go into ketosis and it might not be sort of crazy ketosis. Like if you were never eating any carbohydrates, but you'll go into mild ketosis. And that's when this switch gets uh, changed, right? From sugar to fat. And there's a uh, theory that that switch uh, activates protective mechanisms. And so there's a fascinating studies again in animals where a fasting uh, mice or rat, if you induce a stroke in them actually has a smaller amount of damage to their brain than uh, an animal that was eating all the time. And that's because these protective factors get activated. And, and it makes sense if you think about evolution, it's actually really cool because once upon a time we didn't have lights and we didn't have refrigerators. So we couldn't eat 24 hours a day. Yeah, We had to perhaps go a day without eating, right? And if we got hungry and grumpy and starving and couldn't function after that day, we would have not survived as a species. We actually had to have things that protected us and enabled us to go a little bit longer without eating so that we were actually functioning better and could get that next meal. And so that's the sort of theory about some of the benefits and other things. I mean, certainly for me, I know that I sleep a lot better when I eat the way we recommend Mike Roizen, my co-author, he feels a lot more energetic. Uh, And, you know, we've had amazing stories from people who have diabetes uh, who have said that when they've changed the time that they eat, they're able to control their blood sugar uh, better. Because yeah. again, because of what we talked about earlier about the, how that insulin resistance actually changes throughout the day. And I'm sure moms are hearing sleep better, more energy and look younger. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sustainable. Like you said, you could get your body into ketosis without being on that, this strict diet, like eating. I mean, what's sun up to sundown? Seven to seven? It seems completely manageable. Um, so it's a way to do that and get these benefits, but not, it's not as restrictive. So it's something that you're not going to quit. Which brings me to another point. You have some foods that are, um, I don't know if you call them no, no foods or off limit foods. My lifestyle is nothing is off limits because mm-hmm. with my history with bulimia or there was a time where I was just anorexic and I wouldn't eat sugar or have wine. If I don't have it, I'm miserable. And at some point I'm going to quit on my healthy eating plan. Okay. So either I'll quit and I won't stay with this program if I, it's not really a program, it's a lifestyle, Mm -hmm. if I have something that's off limits. And then the other problem was even, so I'm either miserable or at one point I'm going to have it and then I'm going to binge because it's something that I couldn't have for so long. So nothing's off limits. 
if it's a part of my lifestyle, it's almost not as enticing anymore. Like I can have a margarita. I can have something sweet with my coffee every day so that I stay with this healthy, balanced living. And if I couldn't, I would be miserable. And so off limit foods makes me like, <laughs> it's just because of my history, but there are foods that we should be limiting. Yeah. I mean, there, there are foods we should do our best not to have uh, too often, but I agree with you. Like, again, you've got to, we're, we're not that uh, rigid, right? Yeah. You've got to do what, <laughs> do what works for you. And, you know, we don't think you should eat a lot of white flour and sugar, but you know, I was, I had some guests over and it was somebody's birthday and I made them a cake filled with sugar and <laughs> white flour. Yeah. And, you know, once in a while, that's fine. And you know what would happen before if you did that, like if I had that cake, it would be like, I blew it. I'm off the wagon. I'm just going to start over on Monday. But if you just make it a lifestyle, you have it once in a while. And I just caught myself saying that I have something sweet with my coffee in the morning. So I'm doing it right <laughs> by eating the bad, uh, quote unquote, bad food early when I'm not as resistant to insulin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, again, so, I mean, we, we, we think you should avoid sugar and white flour, fried foods, processed foods. I think that it's pretty safe to not eat those most of the time. Uh, you know, once in a while, go for it. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. to, hard to resist. But I think what's really cool about the What to Eat When cookbook is that we give you a lot of things that uh, take the place of those things that are just as delicious and yes. satisfy those desires you might have for those things. So we have sort of a lot of creamy things. We have things with crunch in them, uh, all coming from sort of different techniques of cooking that aren't sort of frying or, or adding a lot of sugar. Yeah. You just made me think of something else. Like you're a medical doctor, but you cook every day. I love cooking. Cooking is my passion. You see, oh, over here. Yeah. These are all, <laughs> all cookbooks. Another tip that I saw, you cook dinner and then you eat it the next morning. That's a great, a great trick. And my, one of my favorite foods is pasta, as I've already said. And so I like to cook pasta, say the night before and eat it for breakfast the next day. It's two, it solves two problems. It does. One, yeah. one is a, a prep, right? And so now the next day everything's done and I don't have to rush. If I, if I have to get out of the house quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is cold pasta has something special that happens to it and a bunch of cold starchy things like potatoes also have this happen. So starch is just basically sugar. Um, but when you let uh, that starch cool after you cook it, some of it turns into something called resistant starch. Wow. And resistant starch is more like fiber than like sugar. So your body doesn't break it all down and turn into sugar. It actually feeds your gut bacteria. And so cold pasta is a little bit healthier than hot pasta. That is a great tip. That's another thing. A lot of moms, busy moms listen to this podcast. You don't have time to prep and the processed foods are something that's convenient. You can grab it, you know, you're hungry, but if something's on hand, like, do you have any tips if you don't have time to prep the whole week, like snacks or anything to have on hand that's quick? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely time is an issue and certainly like walnuts are our favorite food, our favorite mm -hmm. snack, just plain walnuts. And when you, when you eat less sugar, walnuts actually taste kind of sweet. And so <laughs> I, I love walnuts and all nuts are great snacks. Obviously uh, we love uh, like roasted chickpeas are a great yeah. protein filled snack. It also has fiber that's very filling. Any vegetable, you know, you could eat as a snack would be great. But I, I really think it's important and I know it's hard, but to try to make some time for prep and yeah. try to consolidate that time. So like in the winter, what I like to do is make a huge pot of soup and, and the recipes for soup in, a, in the wet team and cookbook, like I have a chickpea and chestnut soup, which is my favorite. Mm. Um, and the recipe, or there's a, a great lentil soup 
in here with a kind of a spice lentil. And if you make, this is a huge quantity of soup mm -hmm. when you make this. So it can serve your family or if it's just you, it can serve you from many meals, the whole entire week. Your yeah. family can probably serve you for half of the week. Yeah. And so doing a lot of prep at once saves you a lot of time totally. uh, throughout the week. Um, and so worth, worth trying to think about how to do that. Definitely. What is your favorite recipe in the book? It's very, it's very hard. <laughs> if you could only have one thing in the cookbook. Oh goodness. I, I couldn't have only one thing, um, <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I mean, I was looking through the book today, re refreshing my recollection and uh, every page I'm like, Oh, I have to make that again. I've made that in a, in a little yeah. while. This pasta dish called uh, carciofi e pepe. And, you know, it's sort of a very trendy Roman dish we see around in America everywhere is cacio e pepe, which is just pepper and cheese on pasta. And, you know, I love cheese, my favorite food, but we recommend limiting uh, yes. cheese. Mike Royzen never eats cheese. I don't know how he does it, but he, no. he doesn't. Um, but so this recipe was sort of inspired by the original because um, artichokes are a very Roman ingredient. And basically all you do is you take a, a can of artichokes, of artichoke hearts, mm -hmm. and you puree them in a high-speed blender like a Vitamix. And then you toss them with pasta, hot pasta, and crack some black pepper on it and make sure oh. you season it with salt. And it tastes almost like the real cacio e pepe. It's like a bad. sauce. Yeah, yeah, it's a creamy sauce, like oh the God. cheese would become. And it's got a little bit of uh, great flavor from the artichoke and comes oh. with extra fiber, which you wouldn't normally get if you're eating cheese. So that's one of my favorite dishes. I wish it would like go viral. Like uh, I'm gonna make it go viral. So many. <laughs> I'm gonna tag it. <laughs> yeah, if you look in, the, if you find it in the book, like that picture of it is beautiful. Oh yeah, my gosh, super yeah, simple to make. It takes and it takes no time. But as we were just talking about, like there's very little prep in, involved in this. This takes five minutes. I mean, that was my boil, next question. You have to boil the water and everything, but the hands-on time. You did a two for one. I was going to ask you your favorite recipe and then an easy, quick recipe for a busy mom. But it looks like that is both of them. You can make yeah. that so quickly. Are there kid-friendly? I haven't made it through the whole cookbook, but I have a very picky eater. Um, my three-year-old, like he won't even try things. Like, is there anything that's popping out to you? You know, it depends on how picky your kids are. <laughs> right. So there's actually a recipe I was thinking about today that I made for, I was visiting some friends and they have two kids and I, uh, I made the cream and corn. Ooh, yeah. And, and there's no cream in it. It's literally just corn that you grate on a, like a grater. Yeah. And then you, um, has a little bit of a technique involved where you, 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 you cut the corner off the cob and then you take the cobs and you boil them in water to make a little bit of corn broth. Oh my God. And then you, uh, grate that corn, cook it in a, like a cast iron skillet with a little bit of that corn broth. So it gets that really creamy, sweet corn flavor. You yes. can put a little basil or mint on top. Uh, and, and kids seem to like, I mean, kids like corn and yeah, and that's creamy genius and super healthy. So, that might be a good one to try, especially uh, as we enter corn season. Yeah, thank you. There's yeah. another one that uh, snap pea and strawberry salad. Ooh. So you, you blanch the snap peas and chop them up uh, with some quartered strawberries, toss it with a little bit of salt, a little bit of an herb if, you, if they'll eat an herb, and a little <laughs> olive oil. And so that's got your kind of, it's like a sweet and savory salad. Yeah. It looks really cool, great, like visually appealing. So kids, kids like colors, so... What a passion project for you. Like to do something like a cookbook that you're so passionate about cooking, but to also incorporate the Wen way, like this has to be so exciting for you <laughs> to put yeah, this no, out. It's very <laughs> exciting. And I love the way the book turned out. Like it's beautiful. The, yes. We spent a lot of time, make sure we had a photographer who could 
capture the spirit that we were trying to. And, and when I, when we got the pictures, like, Oh, this is perfect. I can't yeah. believe, can't believe how great this is. And, um, yeah, it was actually probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life writing this cookbook. I love cooking as, as we've talked about, but mm-hmm. sort of writing it down and making sure it's worthy of a book right. is, gotcha. uh, is hard. Yeah. So there's recipes in this book. Like there's um, maybe kids would like the chicken meatballs if they're into chicken. Oh yeah, chicken. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had my entire refrigerator filled with nothing but chicken meatballs because <laughs> I, I worked so hard on the recipes. I wanted them to be, you know, worth worthy like i don't want anyone to be disappointed and of so we are not really, but that's really hard you know when you cook normally you sort of oh it's not quite right let me exactly. just add this add this little thing but i don't know what that's going to do you know i gotta start again you're so used to making it you don't you're, yeah you're yeah. not measuring everything out now you need to be precise so i'm exactly. sure that was tough very very um, hard another thing that i just saw in the book that i thought was so interesting dehydration is something that can lead to feeling like low energy. I never equated the two. Yeah. There's a lot of things that when you're really uh, dehydrated, your body would get confused. And so drinking water and eating, again, you can get a lot of hydration from the food you eat too. So eating fruits and vegetables comes with a lot of water. Um, So, you know, again, sort of don't want to prescribe. There's no great data that, you know, you have to drink eight glasses of water a day. Right. But uh, you want to stay hydrated and make sure, as as we say, make sure your urine isn't too dark. I'll tell you, uh, when it comes to what to drink, when uh, yeah. Mike Royzen loves coffee, and I don't drink coffee, but there's a lot of good data on, on coffee. He drinks maybe 12, 13 cups of coffee a day. So oh he would God. say that you can never have too much coffee, according to, to Mike and, and, the, and the data. Um, so if you like coffee, go for it. Uh, tea is fine, too. And, uh, of course, a glass of wine, nothing wrong with that. I do have a, a big wine. Uh, Behind me. I was going to say, you did say what to drink when, and I'm a little anxious to ask this, but my brand is squats and margaritas and I do enjoy cocktails. So moderation is like one drink a day for a woman and two for men. And I thought that was interesting too. And it's because of how the stomach processes it. There's a couple of things going on there. Yeah. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of epidemiology around alcohol, right? And we know that alcohol seems having one or two drinks a day seems to be protective of the heart. Um, but there's a lot of other data <laughs> that uh, drinking increases the risk of cancer. And so there's a sort of a balance there. And we, you know, people who don't drink shouldn't ever start drinking because of this. (laughs) To protect their heart. But if you are, you know, um, the sort of the heart risk and the cancer risk cross over. So in women, the cancer risk goes up a lot faster than in men. Mm. So that that's why women should be limited to about one drink a day, because once they get to two, their, their, that, that curve of cancer risk goes up. Wow. Um, and then maybe, yeah, definitely, uh, in a women's digestive system is a little bit different than a man's and their ability to process the alcohol. And that, that may be part of it, or maybe something else. Yeah. You know, the other reason is after you have one, then you have two, then you want three. And <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. though? I can stop. Like I, I love a glass of wine with pasta. Like I like, it's more about like pairing and like really enjoying the meal. I would be sad if somebody said I I couldn't have a glass of wine, but I can have a glass or two, I will admit, of wine and stop. So if that is okay, then that makes me feel better. Like I'm not going to binge because again, I allow it as part of my lifestyle. It's not as enticing. Like this is my drinking night and I'm going to go drink a bottle of wine. Like I just make it a part of my lifestyle and I've been able to sustain that. Yeah. So hopefully that's okay. I'm protecting my heart, Dr. Krupe. Yeah, no, I I think that's fine. I think that's great. I think... uh, you know, I think, again, like we want to give people guidelines, right? Here's, yeah, here's what we know. Here's what the science says. And you've got to adapt your life to make it work for you. Totally.
you're the medical chief of staff on the Dr. Oz show. Yes. I run the what? medical unit on the Dr. Oz show. That's so, so cool. Yeah. My job is, uh, I have a team that our job is to make sure to work with the producers, to try to make the content really engage, you know, good for people's health yeah. and accurate and accurate. That's awesome. How did that like come about? I mean, the basic uh, interesting version is I used to work at Consumer Reports. And I also, when I was a resident, I did a rotation with the Dr. Oz show. I knew them that I worked at Consumer Reports. And then Dr. Oz at one point said, you know what, we really need you to come here. And I thought, well, I love, I love Consumer Reports. I love the work I do uh, there, but let me try something different. So you are multifaceted, Dr. Krupe. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. If um, Dr. Oz ever wants to be on a podcast and you can vouch for me, I'd love to have him. (laughs) The book is What to Eat When Cookbook and where can people find you? They can find me a bunch of different places. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dr. Krupain. Thank you for uh, liking my posts. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, we're also when.way on Instagram, and you can find us on the web at whenway.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. 